Hello, welcome back right to the book of Jude. Today we're going to be talking about the woman caught in adultery in the book of John. And we're also going to be doing a little character study on Mary Magdalene. But first, I have to tell you a story about how I fractured my wrist. I'm getting old, folks. Welcome to the book of Jude. All right, so a couple days ago, I fractured my wrist. It's a funny story. Feel free to laugh. I'm getting old and I feel it. So my parents are in town. We're all hanging out. Actually, my wife, my mother, uh, were, and my daughter were gone somewhere. And what I was doing and uh, my, my sons and my father, we were all putting together something, a, a TV stand of some type. Anyway, we got kind of most of the way through it and we still had the... Uh, some pieces of wood still laying out. We had boxes, cardboard boxes laying out. and But I needed to take a break. We all did. We were all uh, worn out because we were working very hard earlier that day on other things too. So we were just resting. And um, it was over uh, the weekend. And so we were just resting. I actually, um, my back was sore, my neck was sore. And so I took a, a pain pill and so I'm, I'm not asleep, but I'm laying, I'm laying down on the couch and we're watching something. One of my sons, my younger son goes downstairs and, uh, wanting to, uh, eat a snack. And he asked me, I said, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Well, let me stop right there and tell you that, uh, we, uh, my son has a hoverboard. And my oldest son got a hoverboard for Christmas, and we do everything responsible with it. He has a helmet. We charge it only the recommended amount of time, so we're not setting fires ablaze and all of these things. Uh, that's my oldest son who received the hoverboard. Well, my youngest son has been uh, playing with it as well, and he and he's good at it, all the safety measures. But for that some reason, you know, we've all been there as parents or in your in your life uh, growing up. For some reason, um, he didn't have a helmet on. He was downstairs by himself and he got on the hoverboard and he was going uh, around the dining room table. So limited space, limited room. So it got away from him. He falls and hits his knee. The hoverboard slams into the wall. We have a, a dent in the wall now. So from upstairs, we all hear a loud boom. And immediately, obviously, we're concerned about my younger sons. So we all jump up. My oldest son, his, his brother, gets downstairs really quick and safe and to check on him, check on his brother because he loves him. I jump up we both jump up at the same time he makes it down the stairs i make it one step one step in front of me and trip and fall so there's there's boxes on the floor there's paper there's screws there's tools there's big pieces of wood i take one step and folks i go from vertical to horizontal faster than ever before in my entire life. I I mean, 
an embarrassing, I, I go down fast and hard. And it, you can laugh. It's okay. I'm, I'm, you know, you can laugh in my face. It's all right. So as I go down, and I don't even remember this. I mean, it it was quick. I slammed my wrist so very hard on a piece of wood. It cuts me, and it fractures a bone in my wrist. Don't ask me what bone. I don't know what bone it was, but it, it fracked. I didn't know this at the time, obviously, but boy, that hurt. So we still get downstairs to check on my youngest son. He's okay. He's he's fine. He, he did hurt his knee, but he's okay. Well, my hands, a few minutes goes by, and I'm like, my goodness, this thing hurts. And so um, it starts to swell. It starts to, I start to feel pain that I know I probably shouldn't. So I said, listen, um, dad, you can stay with the, the, um, the, the boys. I'm going to go drive myself to the ER and maybe we can figure this thing out. I text my wife and I say, please call me. Cause I knew she was driving at the time. I said, please call me. And, um, and then I walk out. Well, I walk out without my cell phone. So if you can imagine the panic that my wife is calling, texting, doesn't know why I'm not responding. And then she, uh, my mom is calling my dad and my dad's like, oh yeah, he went to the hospital. He hurt his hand. Uh, we, no one knows what hospital I went to. So all this is happening without me knowing. I go to the hospital and you know, I'm getting checked out. And so I, I've, I've, I've caused panic. <laughs> I've caused panic throughout the, throughout the family. So anyway, they took x-rays and I fractured my wrist. I'm in a temporary uh, splint for, it's going to be a week. And then I'm going to get a permanent cast that's, to which I'm going to have to be in for uh, five weeks. So that is the highlight of uh, a little, the little time that I took off from work to be with my family. That's, that's what it's consisting of. And so that's the Jude luck, as they say. Anyway, so that, that's my fun little story that you can uh, laugh at, you can enjoy and have happiness in the midst of my pain. But uh, everything's all good. This will be a learning moment for me. Do not run anywhere. Do not think that you're 20. Do not go fast. Be slow. I'm going to take my time for the rest of my life. No, I wasn't um, on a bicycle doing, doing wheelies. No, I wasn't bungee jumping. I simply got up off the couch and took a step. So, very depressing. But... <laughs> <laughs> but let's go ahead and get into uh, what I want to talk about today. So let's get into this story about the woman caught in adultery. We don't know who this woman is, but let's dive into it. It's found between John 7, 53, John chapter 7, starting at verse 53, and it goes on to the next chapter, John chapter 8, verse 11. But this story 
does not belong where you see it. This story is about the woman caught in adultery and brought to Jesus. Uh, this this may not even really happen. The story is so famous and ends up all over the movies, but is what we're reading really true? This story has been found in multiple places in multiple manuscripts. I can find it in other manuscripts, John 7:36, John 21:25, Luke 21, even in a different book altogether, Luke 21:38 and Luke 24:53, depending on which manuscript you're looking at. So to to say this story just ended up in John chapter 7 to verse uh, to chapter 8 is an understatement. It is safe to say that this story has been looking for a permanent home for quite a while. Just to give some perspective, the longer ending of Mark, Mark 16, starting at verse 9 to the end, verse 20, that's, this is the famous longer ending of Mark, which we know has been added in or was added in later. That has more manuscript evidence than the woman caught in adultery. Now, that's a big statement. So the problem this presents is if the Apostle John wrote the story or not. That's number one. Because if he did it, then we have a major problem on our hands with the inspired text, knowing that the Apostle wrote it. So I find it very interesting that this story ends up in Luke as well in these other manuscripts. So now we're asking, did Luke write it? Did John write it? Did someone else write it? Was this story God breathed, or did someone simply insert it into the text? If you look at the Textus Receptus, T-E-X-T-U-S, Receptus, R-E-C-E-P-T-U-S, so the received text, as we would say, obviously, you will find the story right where you would know it to be. The majority of Greek texts include this as well. This story is found in over 900 manuscripts. The King James Bible included the story as the original text. But once you start looking in other translations, New King James, NIV, ESV, etc., you will find always a footnote. So if you have a Bible, an actual Bible, look down at those footnotes that we've talked about before. You will find that it's going to tell you that this um, story is not a part of the original manuscripts. So most people don't even realize that they have footnotes, but I know you do because you uh, are a listener of the book of Jude and we've gone over this. So at the bottom of each page, you will find footnotes if need be. There are abbreviations, notes, etc. for them to have a better understanding of the text and for you. So let's go back to the King James. The King James uh, um, displays it as the original, but this was only because of the received text, text, textus receptus. It's hard to say, but this is all they had. So when they translated the King James version, all they had was the received text or you, you can also be called the TR. So if you hear somebody say the TR, that's what they're talking about. That's all they had. Okay. So if you go deeper in the history and studying, you'll understand that they're only working with what they had. And as time went on, new manuscripts were found, which is a good thing. These manuscripts 
uh, were older in time and did not include the adultery story. And you might hear the story called the Pericope Adultery. So until the 12th century, no church father even spoke on this story, the Pericope Adultery, until the 12th century. When they commented on this passage, they would include the fact that it is not a part of the original text. The most reliable earlier Greek texts do not include this story. So have you read the Gospel of John? Do you notice when you get to this story, it breaks the flow of the narrative? The vocabulary is off as, you know, if there was another author, another person writing. 14 words are used in this section that are not found anywhere else in the Gospel of John. So, for example, John never called the Pharisees scribes, as we see in John 8, 3. If you read John, so, so go to your Bible and read John seven fifty two, and then jump over the adultery story to, to John 8, 12. You will find a nice, steady flow in the scripture but where they inserted this story it breaks it up at some time in history i believe a scribe added this story into the pages of the scripture the question is why would someone do this now the answer could be very simple and surprisingly innocent this story must have been a part of the oral tradition accepted by the majority and was inserted along with the other stories of Jesus. So the problem is we do not know who wrote it. For the scripture to remain a holy text and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we need more information. Every book in the Bible is past a certain criteria. And so this is why uh, there's books the, uh, the Gnostic Gospels, the Apocrypha, uh, all of these have been omitted from Scripture because it didn't pass the criteria. doesn't mean these books are bad. Uh, I, just, I would encourage you to go look them up and read them, but just know you're not reading God-inspired Scripture. So if we break down the text, the story has become bigger than itself because the woman caught in adultery is believed to be Mary Magdalene, which I do not think is true. But at the very least, we are not giving proper evidence to support that claim. And so Mary Magdalene has never been said to be an adulterous woman, by the way. This story keeps growing as it is heard, as seen in movies and sermons. It has become, become quite popular over the centuries. So if we look a little bit into the story, there it's during the feast days uh, whether living in tents. It's the Feast of Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S. They're living in tents, 753 of John. They went each to his own house, meaning the feast was over. They were living in tents to remind them of their, of their past, the Jews. And so then they went to their own house. But look at 8-1, John 8-1, but Jesus went to the Mountain of Olives. And John 8-2, the next verse, Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. The story would have worked better if they had still been living out in the tents. The term early morning in verse 2 means just before sunrise. This would make more sense that a man and, and this woman were caught in his or her tent. Uh, 
the living situation were outdoors and very open and public. According to the text, this did not happen. It was the next day, and Jesus had already gone to the temple. They've already, people have went home. So what I'm describing to you is, if they were living out in the tents, uh, imagine, imagine a massive uh, campgrounds, campsites, people living in tents, and very open, very public. So the story also reeks of conspiracy. This is clearly a setup to trick Jesus with a difficult decision. So Deuteronomy 22, 22 says, If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. The rest of Deuteronomy 22 explains in great detail the law of Moses when it comes to sexual sin. The word for this kind of adultery, I'm going to spell it, is M-I-C-H-E-U-M-O-E-N. And this specifically means sexual infidelity. So a lot of questions come to mind why the Pharisees brought only the woman, right? So think about the story. Where's the man? The law says the man and the woman is, going, is supposed to be uh, put to death. Why is the only woman, why is the woman only present? When and where did the sinful act take place? Was the man in on it? I mean, was this a big setup between the, the Jewish leaders and this man and say, listen, we just, we're not going to do anything to you. We just need to set this up because we're trying to set up Jesus or whatever it was. What did Jesus write on the ground? Do you remember in the story where he's writing something on the ground? Everyone has a, I've heard everything. I've heard every speculation, but we're not told and we don't know. These questions will remain unanswered. Only speculation can be made regarding what Jesus wrote on the ground, why the man was not present in the midst of all of the accusers. All of these inconsistencies do not negate the possibility of this event happening. It is possible. The story is consistent with the rest of Scripture. This is what it has going for it. The Pharisees are once again attempting to trap Jesus, yes, Jesus must uphold the law while still being a friend to sinners. Early church fathers like Jerome, Ambrose, Augustine, they believe that the story is true. So this passage was a part of the original and taken out later, or it wasn't present at all and it was added later. We cannot prove that this passage is the quote-unquote word of God, inspired, God-breathed. But make no mistake that the original autographs are inerrant. However, we do not have the originals. Inerrant means without error. So we must look through many thousands of manuscripts that we have to determine the truth. This is a good thing. This is a good promise. Imagine having 1,500 puzzle pieces but your puzzle that you're putting together has 1,000 holes. So we have 500 extra pieces. These are not exact numbers. I'm just trying to give you an example. This is a good thing. This is what we have when it comes to God's word. We have extra pieces. And some of these or most of these extra pieces match pieces that we already have. They're doubles. They're triples. 
So this gives us a very sure thing when we complete the scripture, what we have today. We do not have any missing pieces to the scripture. We take a look at the numerous pieces and see what kind of matches we come up with. This is the case when we're looking at this particular story, looking at um, looking through our puzzle pieces, we find that there are less pieces for this particular passage. Not only are there less, but they're unreliable. There seems to be more evidence not supporting this passage as the word of God. So, this story has been trying to find a home for centuries. And my question is, if, if a pastor stands up and preaches this, should he preface it by saying everything that I just said about it? Or do we just accept it as doctrine because it's there? Well, I would invite each and every one of you to look down at your footnotes and know exactly. The story's a good story. The story is consistent with scripture. There's nothing bad in the story. It's just the fact that of, of the history of it, uh, the authorship and everything else that we know to be God-breathed scripture. That's what we have to deal with. So I would like, as I'm doing right now, I would love to teach it. I, I would teach it. I have taught it. I do. And so I will continue to teach it, but I will also uh, make sure my listeners know everything that comes along with that. I'm not just going to present it as just another story in the Bible. All right. So since we talked about the woman that was caught in adultery and everything about that story. A lot of people believe, a lot of Christians believe it was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, of course, was one of the followers of Jesus. And the reason people believe that is where it shows up in the Bible. There, There's another, you know, in all the movies, most of the movies, maybe not all, but a lot of times you will see that Mary Magdalene is portrayed as being the woman caught in adultery. Now that we know the story and where it comes from, let's talk about Mary Magdalene for a little bit. And I, I want to kind of defend her because um, Mary Magdalene was not the woman that was caught in adultery. The Bible never says that. That specific story doesn't even appear in the early manuscripts as we saw it has often become a topic of discussion within the church. Why in the world was Mary Magdalene's name being drugged through the dirt all these years? She uh, Was she an immoral prostitute? Was she the wife of Jesus? You could go into the Gnostic Gospels and, and uh, those movies that were put out, the uh, uh, Da Vinci Code and things of that nature. Um, so let me just, let's forget about all of those things. Let's remove all the movie scenes. Um, let's, let's just focus on the biblical facts of Mary Magdalene. So the full name of this woman has traditionally been taken to imply that she was from the city of Magdala. This was located in the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee in the Talmud, T-A-L-M-U-D, look it up if you don't know what that is. This is uh, this city's called Magdala, and I'm going to spell the rest of it, N-U-N-A-Y-Y-A. It seems to be the place where Jesus was in Matthew 15, 39. 
In fact, Magdala may not refer to a city at all, so we need to keep that in mind. The meaning of Magdala is elephant, great, or tower. M-A-G-D-A-L-A. -A -A. So the first time she was mentioned in the Gospels, she was specifically included among the women who had been healed by Jesus from their sickness or uh, demon possession. Specifically, that she had been freed from seven demons, most probably by Jesus, but that's in Luke 8, 2. These women were Jesus' disciples. They accompanied him during his second Galilean tour, and they provided financial support for his ministry, verses 2 and 3. Mary Magdalene witnessed Jesus' death on the cross, Matthew 27, 55, 56, John 19, 25. She accompanied his body to the tomb, Matthew 27, 60, and 61. On Sunday morning, she was the first to arrive at Jesus' tomb and seeing that it was empty, went and informed the disciples that someone had taken away Jesus' body, John 20, 1 and 2. The other disciples came and found it to be true and went away. But Mary stayed behind and was the first one to see the risen Lord, verse 15. He commissioned her to tell the disciples that he had been resurrected. In obedience, she and the other women went to the disciples and announced the Lord has risen. John 20, 18, Matthew 28, 7, Luke 24, 9. Mary Magdalene has been associated with the woman in the city who was a sinner, Luke 7, 37, who washed Jesus' feet, but there were no scriptural basis for this. It's only because of the placement of the information. Now that city, Magdala, had a reputation for prostitution. So this information coupled with the first that Luke first mentions uh, about Mary immediately following this account of being a sinful woman, Luke 7, 36 to 50, had led some to equate the two women. But there's no scriptural evidence to support these, this idea. Mary Magdalene is nowhere identified as a prostitute or a sinful woman, despite you know all the popular beliefs and portrayals as such. In a homily, uh, if, if you know anything about Catholic faith, uh, there's Pope Gregory the Great in 591 AD, in, in homily 33, in one of his sermons basically, Pope Gregory claimed that the seven devils cast out of Mary were the seven deadly sins. He accompanied this with unnamed sinner at the washing of Jesus' feet. So, by doing that, this belief has carried on among the years. Gregory asserted that Mary Magdalene, Mary, sister of Martha and Lazarus, of Bethany, and the unnamed sinner in Luke, who anoints Christ's feet, were all the same person. Luke first mentions Mary Magdalene in chapter 8, immediately after the female sinner who washes the feet of Jesus in chapter 7. The city of Magdala is believed to have a reputation of prostitution. There's no biblical evidence. 
Mary Magdalene is never explicitly identified as a prostitute, immoral, or sinful woman. The only label we can give, the only label we can give Mary from her past is that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. Now, let's talk about Mary of Bethany and Mary Magdalene possibly being the same person. Mary of Bethany was the sister of Martha and Lazarus and lived in Bethany in the region of Judea. She anointed Jesus shortly after, shortly before, excuse me, his crucifixion, revealing her devotion and love for him. This act was her expression of gratitude for the forgiving love of the Savior she experienced. Luke implies that she had been forgiven much. After this anointing, no other mention is made of Mary of Bethany. There were many Marys in the story of Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, Mary, the wife of Clopas, C-O-L-P-A-S, might be saying that wrong, Mary of Bethany, and of course, whom we're talking about today, Mary Magdalene. In the New Testament alone, there are 54 references to a Mary. The historical evidence that would suggest that these two women are the same is simply not there. Besides, there is the problem of the place of origin. Bethany is from Judea. Mary Magdalene or Magdala is in Galilee. One uh, uh, could speculate that perhaps early in her life, Mary left her home in Bethany and went to live in Magdala. But after she met Jesus, she returned to Bethany. This, however, is a lot of reaching, a lot of speculation, and not sufficient uh, evidence for a claim. And I and I talked about Gnosticism, the Gnostic Gospels. So attempting um, to answer some of the the previous questions, uh, if we look at it uh, from the Gnostic viewpoint, this belief became popular during the uh, the Vinci Code movies. The Gnostic Gospels are 54 texts believed to be written between the 2nd and 4th centuries. You will not find these in the Bible, and there's reasons why. There was a discovery of the Gospel of Mary Magdalene in the late 19th century uh, near Egypt, or in Egypt. What is interesting, though, this is this was found that many pages were missing. Only sections of the text appear up until the fourth chapter. There are only portions of the chapters 5 uh, to 8. There are so many missing pages to this text and extremely difficult to claim it meets all the criteria to claim to be uh, as part of the gospel or part of the Holy Scriptures in total. Meaning, does God preserve his word? Yes, he does. We could not take this uh, gospel and run it through the criteria that all other books, letters of the Bible that we have, it's not going to pass most of the, the criteria test. So it didn't make it in. I do invite you to look it up and, and be knowledgeable about it, but know there's a reason why it's not in there. So throughout the text, it seems Mary is a prominent role in the early Christian movement. 
Mary seems to understand the Lord better than anyone else, and she has visions of him even after the resurrection. It is interesting to see, uh, even with the text of the Gnostic gospel, Andrew was concerned and ridden with unbelief that the Lord would appear um, and speak to a woman over any of the apostle men. So Mayor, uh, uh, Mary had um, understanding and authority. It says Jesus loved her more than them, any of the male disciples, and other Gnostic Gospels calls her his companion. And that's why you probably heard about Jesus and Mary having a relationship of some type. So the Gnostic texts are not included in the Bible and not considered inspired, of course, these include the Gospel of Mary, Philip, Thomas, Judas, and more. There is a good reason that these are not considered inspired. There are certain criteria a letter or a book must pass to considered, be considered holy. These certain books was never directly linked to the writings of the apostles. They are heretical in their teaching and contrary to scripture. These documents were not continuously or universally used by the church. God preserves his word and his alone. If it's heretical and, and contrary to scripture, scripture stands alone and does not contradict itself. So these clearly are not a part of scripture that God is going to preserve. And obviously he did not. So what is so special about Mary Magdalene? Was she trusted more than the others? Was her dedication towards the Lord upheld higher? The fact that she was there through it all. The scripture suggests that since her healing, Mary stuck with the Lord and his disciples to the end. In fact, she was there when they were not. There is no doubt that she cared and loved the Lord with all of her heart, soul, and mind. So whether you call it women's intuition or just great love for the Lord. Her dedication was long-lasting. Her legacy, yet tarnished, will forever be one of great mystery and passion. Mary is presented as an independent woman, not known by a husband or a last name. She is known by her strength, her power, her uniqueness. Mary was at the foot of the cross and at the tomb. Mary was the first to see the risen Lord. Mary was the first to proclaim the resurrection. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening to the book of Jude. Thank you for taking your time out. Uh, I do have some great news. Not only are people listening in the United States all over, but Ireland and now the Philippines. So if you're listening to the Philippines, if you continue to listen, thank you so much. Let us know. Um, uh, where you're listening from. That's always encouraging. And so uh, until next time, God bless you. Please like, comment, share. You never know how these things could bless others. So appreciate your time. I really, really do. God bless.